Well, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 this morning for the message, Matthew 16. And if you remember, uh, of course, our theme for the year is abide, and it has to do with abiding in Christ and, and uh, really our need and dependence upon the Lord to enable us uh, to do the things that would be pleasing in His sight. We need His strength. We need His empowerment. Uh, we need His help. We need His leadership. And last week, we... Uh, spoke of, uh, on that subject of being led by the Spirit and how we can be led by the Spirit of God. And really all of these things come down to, if we wanted to kind of summarize it, uh, all of these things boil down to doing the will of God. We want to we do those things that God wants for us. We want his, our lives to be pleasing to Him. And uh, even when it comes to being led of the Spirit of God, we want Him to be in charge, right? We want Him to be in control. Well, today I want to take a look at an example of a man who, overall, I think we would say he had a desire to do the will of God and even to know the will of God, but maybe misunderstood God's will and God's purpose. You know it's possible to even desire to do the will of God, but to not understand God's will and God's purpose in our lives and uh, so we're going to be looking at some things about the life of Peter here this morning. And we're in Matthew 16. I'll invite you, if you're able, to stand one last time as we read the scriptures together. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 13. The Bible says here, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias or Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he, that is Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. 
This is a fascinating portion of Scripture, and really there are so many aspects of these verses that we don't have time to really develop and talk about, uh, but we could. We could spend some time, for instance, talking about this statement that, that, that Peter said about, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and what a powerful declaration, powerful statement that was. We could talk about how uh, Jesus uh, made the, the proclamation that He was going to build His church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And by the way, as we sit here today, I think it's evident and obvious that over all of these years that Satan and our enemies and God's enemies have been trying to destroy New Testament churches, that has not prevailed. It has not worked because Christ has promised to preserve His churches. And, uh, and we're thankful for that. We could talk about the fact that... that, that uh, Jesus here gave authority to his church. He gave authority even to Peter as a leader within the church. And we could talk about a lot of things. But what I really want to emphasize and kind of uh, focus in on for the next few moments is really this terrible misunderstanding in the, in the mind and heart of an apostle who wanted to do that which was best and pleasing to the Lord, but he completely missed the will of God. And that, that is Peter making a statement <laughs> where he actually took the time to rebuke Jesus, the Son of God, for what Jesus said was going to take place as part of the fulfillment of God's purpose and plan. You see, sometimes we can misunderstand God's purposes. And most people today really would, would probably say, that if, they, if they're honest, there are things that God does and there are things that God allows that I just can't wrap my mind around. Oftentimes people will cite, for instance, uh, all of the problems and suffering that takes place in the world and they'll say, well, God can't really be good or God can't really be in control as He says He is because if He was, He wouldn't do this or this or this, Right? We understand that there's a lot that goes into that and not everything that happens in the world is because God is the one who's uh, enforcing this upon us, but there is this issue of sin uh, that brings a lot of our suffering and pain and all of that. But there are times that God will do things that we look at and we wonder, we question, why would God allow this or why would God uh, bring this into my life? Why would God do this uh, here on the earth? And I just want you to know that just because we don't always understand God's will does not make God's will and God's purpose and God's plan any less valid. God is God. When Moses asked God, what is your name? What am I going to tell them uh, when I go back into Egypt and, 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 and tell Israel that, that I'm supposed to lead them out? Who, who do I tell them sent me? And he said, I am that I am. God is who God is. And we don't have the privilege to try and define or determine uh, who God is or His boundaries or, or what He does or should or should not do. God is who He is and He does what He does. And everything we know about God is because that is what He has revealed to us. And I want you to know that God, as He has revealed Himself to us, is good. And God is right. And God is just. 
and God is loving, and God is merciful. And while we may not always be able to comprehend, we ought to always be confident that what God does is always best. And here we have this situation where Jesus comes into Caesarea Philippi. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's very well known. He's made a big stir everywhere he's gone, and there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of chatter going on about Jesus. And Jesus takes the time to pull his disciples aside and say, hey, you're, you're hearing what people are saying about me. Who are, they, who are they saying I am? Well, some of them, they think you're John the Baptist. Other people think that you're Elijah, and you've come back to fulfill or complete the ministry of Elijah. Some people think you're Jeremiah, and we could talk about that for a while, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus turned and he said, but whom say ye that I am? And by the way, I think that that's a very valid and important question in itself, right? There, there is an opinion that the world has about God, about Christ, about who He is, and, and we may or may not be uh, fully understanding of what, what all people think about God, but the real question is, who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus in your life, and what have you done with Him? Well, um, among all of these misunderstandings about who Jesus is, Jesus looks at His disciples and He says, what do you think? Who am I? Am I just a rabbi? Am I just a teacher? Am I just a prophet? Uh, wh what am I? What is my significance in history? And here, Peter makes a declaration. He makes a proclamation. And he says in verse 16, Thou art the Christ. What, what, was, it, what was that statement? It was saying, Jesus, you are the very fulfillment of every prophecy concerning the Messiah that we have in the Scriptures. As we look back at the Old Testament, as we were promised from Genesis chapter 3 that a deliverer would come, you are everything that the Bible tells us that, that, that the Messiah would be and will be, and I am convinced and assured that you are He, that you are the Messiah, you are the Christ. Not only, though, are you the Christ, you're not just a, 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 a political deliverer, you're not just a descendant of a king uh, with a royal bloodline, but he says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. When I look at you, I'm not just looking at, at, at some uh, deliverer that would come, I'm actually looking in the face of God himself, because God has come to deliver us and set us free. That's who you are, Jesus. And I want you to know that when Peter said that, Peter hit the nail right on the head. That's exactly who Jesus was. It is. Uh, he's not just another man. He's not just another religious figure. Listen, Jesus is not on an equal plane with some prophet like Muhammad or some teacher like, uh, like Buddha or Confu Confucius or, or anyone like that. Jesus transcends all of that because he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he is the only way unto the Father. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 says that there is salvation in no other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is above all, and he is the only Savior. That's who Jesus is. And when, Jesus, when, when Peter was asked this question, who do you think I am? Peter got it right. 
Jesus, you are everything you say you are. You're the Christ. You're the one that we've been waiting for. And in that statement, he was willing, uh, he, was, he was confessing that, he, that, that Jesus was worth following. I mean, after all, these men had given up everything. You remember Peter said at one point, hey, we've, we've given up everything. We've left all and followed you. I mean, he left his family, he left his career, he left, he left his home behind to follow Jesus, and all of these men had. But what he's saying is, Jesus, it's, you, you are worthy, you are worth following. And truly, all of us who have received Christ and know the Lord, we know that that is true, Right? There is no price that is too high to pay for following Jesus. And so Peter here makes this great proclamation. And I want you to know that Peter gets kind of a, a bad rap. As we look at the life of Peter, we, we see some errors. We see some flaws. Uh, you know, we, we remember that he stepped out on the water to follow Jesus and he began to sink and was rebuked for his faithlessness. Or we remember that, again, in, in this passage, he rebukes the Lord. We remember maybe, if you're familiar with the New Testament, uh, that, that Peter, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration there, said to Jesus, it's good that we're here. We ought to build a, a tabernacle for you and for Moses and for Elijah. It kind of put Jesus on the same plane as those guys because he didn't know what to say. We talked in, our, in the Sunday school hour, I was talking to a, a couple of men and, and talked about the fact that Peter was kind of known uh, as, as a guy who spoke before he thought, oftentimes. We call him impetuous. Uh, he was the man that often put his foot in his mouth, you know. He just didn't engage the brain before he engaged the mouth sometimes. And so we, we can look at Peter and, and kind of give him uh, th this, he has this reputation of not always being the most spiritual guy. But I want you to know that actually Peter was a very godly man. And Peter, by the way, yes, he did sink as he was out there walking on the water, but he was the only one that got out of the boat, all right? And, uh, and after all, I mean, Jesus is the one right here in this passage that basically tells him, Peter, you're going to be the leader of this church that I am establishing, we go over to Acts chapter number 1, and we see Peter being kind of the leader among the apostles, among the pastors there, and he's the one who's leading the church and, 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 and setting the course for the things that they're going to do. This is a responsibility that Jesus himself gave him. You remember in John uh, chapter 21, uh, he, after he had denied the Lord and, and, and had gone back to fishing, uh, the, Jesus came to him, and, and three times he asked him, he said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said, Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. In other words, I want you to lead my people, my flock. And so it's not as though Peter was a, a, a bad man or, or a faithless man. No, he was, a, he was a godly man, he was a leader, but that didn't mean that he got everything right. <laughs> You know, the truth is that we often tend to look at people as good or bad, uh, black and white, right? Uh, this person, that's a, that's a good guy. Hey, he might not, might not be perfect, that's a good guy. This guy over here, he's a bad guy. I don't like anything he does. We often do that with political figures. And all of us probably have some politicians that we don't care much for. 
And we look at him and we say, well, that's a bad guy. Nothing he could ever say would ever be right. And then you've got people that maybe you do like, people that are in, in public office that you, you like them and you respect them and you'd never admit that they've done anything wrong or said anything wrong, you know? And sometimes we think that way, good and bad. I want you to know the truth is most of us, even though I understand theologically we are all bad, right? We all have sin, we all need to be forgiven. But most of us who are saved... We have some things about us that are good and right because of the Lord and because of the work he's done in our lives. We also have some areas that we tend to get things wrong. I'm thankful for God's grace. (laughs) I'm thankful for his mercy. I'm thankful that he was able to use someone like Peter who even, even though he did right, sometimes he got things terribly wrong. And when it came to understanding God's purpose and God's plan, sometimes... Peter acted as though he knew better than the Lord. Fascinating it is to me that in verse number 17, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, this understanding of who I am that you have That's not from your own wisdom and logic that you've figured that out. That is because the Lord has opened your eyes and given you understanding. However, just a few short verses later, look at verse number 23, what Jesus says to him. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) So he, in one breath, says... Uh, Peter, this is something that God has shown you. He's opened your eyes. Now he's calling him Satan and he's rebuking him. Wow. How can someone who is so spiritual also be so carnal? How can someone who gets something so right also get something so wrong? Well, that's exactly what happened. And we've been talking about this subject of, of, of doing and knowing and doing and following the will of God in our lives. And I want you to know that there are things about the will of God that will not make sense to us all the time. And this situation, what, what, I, what we're reading here, is where Jesus begins to open and expose the plan and the purpose of God. It says in verse 21, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. Now imagine this in the mind of Peter and the other disciples, following this man that you are convinced is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, and now he's telling you that he is, his life is going to come to an end, and it's going to come to an end at the hands of wicked men, that he's going to be killed. Peter, no doubt, thought in his heart, I love my Lord. I love the ministry of the Lord. I've given everything to this cause and to this purpose. And because I love God, I cannot stand for, I cannot allow Jesus to be killed. Now, would you agree with me that from Peter's perspective, that seemed like the right attitude? 
I mean, I love Jesus, I love his cause, I love his preaching, and I know that he is here for the good of, uh, 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 of the nation of Israel. He's here to fulfill God's purpose. So I, cannot, I, I, I can't just accept that he is going to die. He has to continue to live. And it's easy to figure out how Peter would have rationalized this in his mind. It cannot be God's will for Jesus to die. But in the process of doing this, he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then look at verse 23. It says in verse or 22, rather, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Well, that takes some boldness, doesn't it? <laughs> to stand in the face of the one that you've just said, you're the Son of God, and to rebuke him, to challenge him. And he even said, be it far from the Lord... This shall not be unto thee. Jesus, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you are right. I believe that your way is best. I believe that you are worthy of following. I've given up everything to follow you. But I want you to know, Jesus, you're wrong. <laughs> That's essentially what, Jesus, what Peter's saying to Jesus. He's rebuking him. Again, I understand it was well-meaning, uh, well but he was wrong. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Listen to this. He says, thou art an offense to me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Here's the problem. Here's what Jesus is saying. You want the will of God, but you think that the will of God has to always suit what Suits your, has to always fit with what suits you best. Your desire, you think your desire is spiritual, but you're not really loving the things that God loves. You're loving the things of this world. Now, I read that, and it's easy, it's easy to look at that and read that and say, oh man, Peter got this wrong. But I read those words, and I think, how often in my life have I been guilty of even resisting what may be the very will of God because in my human understanding, my human reasoning, it doesn't make sense. And so because it doesn't make sense to me, I automatically assume it cannot be the will of God. Jesus says that that kind of thinking is not godly thinking. That's not really a desire to know and do the will of God. That's actually a desire to make God do my will. Have you ever been guilty of that? I know I have. I want God to conform to my will, what I think is right. The problem is there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And, and truthfully, you understand, and I understand that God does not always do things in the way that we think He ought to. Because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And His ways are not our ways. And He said in Isaiah 55, As the heavens are high above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. I mean, God doesn't do things always the way that we think He ought. But I want you to know this, that if we really want to do the will of God, if we want to know the will of God, 
we have to be willing to submit to the will of God even when it doesn't make sense to us. Hold your place here in Matthew 16, if you would, and go with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And down toward the end of the chapter, in verse number 18, Philippians 3, 18, here's what it says. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. In other words, the Bible tells us that to have a mind that is of the things of this world rather than the things of God, is actually to be an enemy of the cross of Christ. How could Jesus say to Peter that he was Satan? We understand he wasn't really literally saying that Peter was the embodiment of the devil, of Satan. But what he, what he really was saying is this, your thinking is satanic thinking. And satanic thinking isn't just you know, witchcraft and casting spells and doing that kind of stuff. Satanic thinking is any time that I elevate my will and my understanding above that of God's. And I am actually becoming an enemy of God because rather than submitting to His will and accepting His will as truth and right, I am rejecting and resisting His purpose. Now here's the thing. Peter could not have understood in his time, or it had not yet been revealed to him, that, that this was all part of God's plan, that, that, that this was all to, to fulfill the, the great redemption story that, that had been laid out for, the, for generations. Peter did not know that. Peter didn't understand that. All he was thinking was, I can't let Jesus die. But because he was so concerned with the things of this world, he was blinded to God's purpose and he was literally standing in the way of what God was trying to do. I want you to know that that is a very dangerous road to go down. So often we think that we know better than God. We think that it couldn't be that this problem, this trial, this difficulty that's come into my life is actually for my good. And so, in our reasoning, we think we would probably never put these pieces together. But here's what we think. This thing in my life is not good. Therefore, if God is sovereign, meaning he's in control of everything, and he has allowed this in my life, that must then mean that God is not good. We may not say that because we know that that would come across as blasphemous. But in our heart, that's essentially what we say. Anytime that we become angry and bitter because of the circumstances in our lives, that's essentially what we're saying. God was wrong. Did you know that this has been a problem, not just for, you know, in, in recent history, but this has been a problem for many, many years like all the way back in Genesis, in Genesis 18, we won't take the time to go there, but the Lord is revealing to Abraham that he is, he is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness. And you know what Abraham said to God? 
He said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Let's turn that around. What was he saying? God, if you do this, you are wrong. That's a pretty bold statement. God, if you do this, if you allow this, you are wrong. But truthfully, every time we fail to yield to God's will because we don't understand, we are essentially saying, God, you are wrong and I know better than you. God, I don't want, I don't want to, to yield and submit and follow your will because I don't want that. It doesn't make sense to me. I can't wrap my mind around why you would do this. Therefore, it must not be your will. No, we need to be submitted and yielded to the will of God regardless of whether or not we understand. Oftentimes, God will lead us to do things and will show us things that, are not, that don't fit with our understanding. Anyone who has been through tragedy and pain in life understands there are times God allows things that in our limited understanding and reasoning, it feels like this cannot be right. Go back with me, if you would, to Matthew 16. And I want to show you that there really is a requirement for knowing and doing the will of God. Peter, trying to do what was right, trying to do what he believed to be best, actually interfered with, or was trying to interfere with, God's purpose. Jesus rebuked him for that. And then notice what he says in Matthew 16 and verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does that have to do with anything? The truth is that if we want to know God's will, we have to be willing to die to our opinions and plans and desires. You know, Jesus, his life and ministry was marked by complete submission to the will of his Father. He said in John chapter 8, and verse 29, I do always those things that please him. Always. We sang a, a song a moment ago, Lest I Forget Gethsemane. Gethsemane was the garden in which Jesus prayed right before going to the cross and wrestled there in agonizing with the, the weight of what he was about to embrace, taking the sin of the world upon himself. He, in his humanity, cried out to his Father and said, If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Deliver me from this. But then he said, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Father, I might not be all that excited about accomplishing that which I'm about to face, but I am yielded and surrendered to your will that I may do that which is pleasing in your sight. 
And now what he is saying to his followers is if we want to be disciples of Christ, we must be willing to embrace that same cross. A cross of difficulty, a cross of suffering. I'm not saying that following the Lord always involves suffering. But what I am saying is we have to be willing to resign ourselves not to our understanding but to God's perfect will. And to say, Lord, whether I understand or not, your purpose is more important than my agenda. And your will and your way is higher than my limited knowledge. He said, if you want to come after me, you've got to be willing to take up your cross. You need to savor the things that be of God and not the things that be of men. One last place I want to take you before we close in a word of prayer is Romans chapter 12. And this is something I've quoted often, even here in the last couple of weeks. Romans chapter 12, if we really want to know and do God's will, we have to be willing to resign ourselves to it even before we understand it. It says here in Romans 12 and verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now wait a second. I beseech you therefore. That means that I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with you based on what I have just described to you. Do you remember what we read this morning as our scripture reading? Verse 33, Oh, the depth of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. This God that we're speaking of, this God that we worship, he is so far above us that his ways are unsearchable to us. We could never comprehend. And now in chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Can I summarize that by saying, our human minds will never be able to comprehend and grasp the plan and purpose and will of God. But if we will yield ourselves to Him, if we will submit ourselves to Him, if we will embrace that cross and present ourselves a living sacrifice, we can prove what that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. I don't know your heart today. I don't know where you are before the Lord. In fact, the truth is that you may be sitting here today and none of this matters to you because truly Christ is not Lord in your life. You've never been saved. And if that's you today, let me, let me just tell you, there's only one way to be forgiven for your sins. And it's through the blood of Christ. And you need to receive him and you need to make him your Lord and master today. But I think I'm talking to a lot of people today who do know Christ. And maybe you, like Peter, would say, Hey, you're Lord. 
You're worthy of my life. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But in your heart, maybe you resist what God is doing in your life because you say, that can't be the will of God. If you really want to know and do the will of God, surrender. Yield. Put yourself on the altar. Present your body a living sacrifice. Lord, not my will. Not what I want. Not what I understand. Not my reasoning. That's not what needs to to lead the way in my life. Lord, I surrender. I yield to you. And whatever you do, and however you lead me, I trust that your way is best because you are always right. Folks, that's not always easy to do. But it truly is the key to knowing and doing the will of God. is to surrender, understanding that His ways are higher than our ways.